Oh, I'm sorry, is this silence making anybody feel uncomfortable this morning? Is that, really, it was? Okay. Good morning. <laughs> um, so I, I counted to 30 in my head and first heard the uncomfortable titters of laughter at about 10 seconds. How many of you felt like it was longer than 30 seconds? Anybody think it was longer than that? How, many, how, many, how long do you think it was, Steve? Couple of minutes. <laughs> 30 seconds is how long I stood up here. So let me ask you a question. What was going through your mind during that time of silence besides what's wrong with him, right? Because I'm, I'm hearing you guys say, good morning. Say something. Cindy's over. Just start talking. <laughs> it is uncomfortable to sit in silence. For any amount of time, especially in public, especially when you know that somebody's supposed to be saying something, right? The pastor gets up, he brings this thing over, he puts this thing, he turns on his microphone, and he's supposed to talk, and that's what's supposed to happen, right? We don't like silence. After a little bit of time, we start shuffling our feet and squirming in our chair. We giggle a lot. I heard some giggling out there. And we wonder, what is going on? What is wrong with that person? And sometimes we wonder if, if something's going on around us, right? Um, you know, maybe keeping the person from talking or, or distracting the person over here. I remember a teacher that I had in high school. Uh, he would stop talking when anybody else in the class was talking. Anybody ever have a teacher like that? They would just stop. And he'd just stand there. And he'd wait, and he'd wait, however long it took for the person to realize that the teacher was no longer talking. And as soon as the talking stopped, the teacher would go on as if nothing had happened. He would stop in the middle of a sentence, and he would just continue on with what he was saying. And many of us really do not like silence. When, when we're home by ourselves, how many of you uh, play music or maybe have the TV on in the background? You need some kind of noise, just even if you're not watching TV, you just want to hear something in the background, right? Because it kind of freaks us out when it's, when it's really quiet. Because I've learned something. Sometimes quiet silence is loud. You ever been laying in bed at night and it's so quiet, it's so silent, and you just hear this in your ears. That happens to me sometimes. We just want that noise in the background because silence is, let's face it, sometimes creepy. We don't like that silence. Now, there are some silences that are good. If you've ever studied public speaking, you'd uh, learn that there are appropriate places within speech to stop talking and let silence just go for a couple of seconds. And you learn that Silence at just the right place builds the anticipation. You want to know what the guy's going to say next or what the woman's going to say next. And did you know that Jesus was a great public speaker? Jesus knew how to use silence to build anticipation. In Luke chapter 4, we read that even just at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus 
uh, would be teaching in the synagogues. And in Luke 4, 16 to 20, we read, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet... <laughs> I couldn't resist, I'm sorry. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Imagine being in the synagogue that Sabbath day. And Jesus gets up and he reads from the prophet Isaiah a special passage that he had selected. After he finishes reading, there, there, there's this long silence. And the first thing that we read that Jesus does is that he rolls up the scroll of Isaiah. Now, this passage is from I, near the end of Isaiah. Isaiah 61 is where this passage is from. And we don't know how long the scroll was, but... Uh, when they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, back in 1948, uh, there was a scroll of Isaiah that was 24 feet long. So Jesus is probably at about 21 feet, right? And he's just finished reading this reading. And assuming that the scroll was about the same length, he had 20 feet, 21 feet of parchment. And there he is. Because when you rolled up the scroll, you did it very solemnly. You did it very respectfully. This was the Torah. This was the law and the prophets. And there's Jesus. Not saying anything. Finally, he gets the scroll rolled up. Then he takes it and gives it to the attendant. He picks it up. He walks it over. The attendant puts the scroll back where they stored the Torah scrolls. And Jesus sits down. And he sits in a place called the Moses seat or the seat of honor, which is where the person who was reading from the law and the prophets would sit in the, in the synagogue. And Jesus didn't start talking right away. And we read that the eyes of everyone were fixed on him. And there's this silence that you can hear as they're waiting for Jesus to start teaching. Finally, Jesus said, now I'm not going to tell you what he said. Look it up. Luke chapter 4, verse 21. I can remain silent for a moment if you'd like to look it up right now. No? Okay. <laughs> Jesus used that silence to make sure that he had the attention of every single person in that room. 
I want to ask you a question right now. You want to ask me a question right now, too. Does God have my attention? Here's a better question. Does God ever really have my undivided, focused on Him attention? Now, we sure believe that God should be paying attention to us, right? We pray, we ask for things. Many times things aren't going so well for us, we might shout, God, where are you? God, are you listening to me? Why don't you do something about, and whatever it is that we're angry about God for not doing. And we expect, and the world expects, and they ask, well, if God is there, then why can't God stop dot, 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 whatever it is that they're wanting to talk about at that point. And sometimes we just, we get angry at God. We find ourselves screaming at God. You've ever found yourself screaming at God? I have, especially driving in the car where nobody can hear me. I'm serious, and not about the guy that's cutting me off on the high. I'm talking about screaming at God about whatever's going on in my life right now and what in the world is he thinking. That's what I'm, I'm like, why? And we do, we get angry. We expect that God should be listening to us and doing whatever it is that we want him to do. Now, I love the movie Forrest Gump. Anybody seen the movie Forrest Gump? A couple of people, right? Love that movie. And my favorite character in all of Forrest Gump is Lieutenant Dan Taylor. He's, he was Forrest's platoon leader in Vietnam, and he, met, he meets him like the first day he lands in Vietnam. And during this time, uh, Lieutenant Dan's platoon gets caught in this, this bombing, this, this firefight, all of these things being dropped on them and bombs going off and everything. And Forrest rescues Lieutenant Dan, just like scoops him up and throws him over his shoulder and runs him down to the beach and then puts him down, runs back and like rescues like 15 other guys. And of course, Lieutenant Dan is very angry for a lot of years, not because he's lost his legs, which would have made him angry enough, but he was angry because Forrest stole what he thought was his right, and he thought that his was the right to die in battle, like all of his other ancestors before him. And the movie explains how somebody in Lieutenant Dan's family has died in every single war America has ever fought. And he's angry. He's just furious at Forrest for saving his life. And of course, now he has to go around in a wheelchair because he has no legs. After a few years, uh, on, on New Year's Eve, Lieutenant Dan has this drunken talk with Forrest about the priests who used to come and visit him at the VA hospital. And they would say something like, have you found Jesus? And Lieutenant Dan says uh, that they would tell him that God is listening and that if Jesus, if he found Jesus, that he would walk beside him in heaven. And then he points to his lack of legs. And again, very angry. And he says, did you hear what I said? Walk with him in heaven. And then he lets off this profanity lace kind of thing and basically says that it's a crock of manure. 
Of course, he didn't use that nice word for menorah. And he's just very angry. A few years after that, Lieutenant Dan joins Forrest's shrimping boat crew. He's the second person on the crew. And after a few days of not catching any shrimp, Lieutenant Dan asks Forrest, where's this god of yours? And Forrest, narrating the movie, says, it's funny Lieutenant Dan said that because just then, God showed up. And that leads into this massive hurricane. You might have heard about it if you were around in the 70s. Hurricane Carmen killed eight people, caused $162 million worth of damage, mostly to the shrimping operations down in that area. And in the movie, Forrest is the only boat that survives because his wasn't actually in port at the time. They were actually out on the water, so they were able to survive, and then they start catching all the shrimp because they're the only boat there. And everything starts going well. And in a later scene, Lieutenant Dan thanks Forrest for saving his life. He comes to the realization that had he died, there are some things that he would have missed. And he thanks Forrest for saving his life. And then he jumps into the quiet, still waters, and he takes a swim. And you just see him. And he's laying back. And he's doing his little stroke, and he's looking up to heaven, and the sun's shining down. And Forrest, the narrator, said, though he never said so, I think Lieutenant Dan made his peace with God. Now, it wasn't the hurricane that caused Lieutenant Dan to make his peace with God. It was the quiet time after. It was the quiet moment where this drunken, embittered man looks at his human savior, Forrest Gump, and says, thank you for saving my life. And it's in this moment that we feel God shining down on him as he's swimming across the water. It reminds me of another remarkable story. This one, a true story. In 1 Kings chapter 19, we read of a frightened prophet named Elijah. He's frightened of the king's wife Jezebel because Elijah has just had this really big contest with all of Jezebel's uh, religious people, uh, and, and we don't have time to go into it, but he completely destroys them, and then he completely destroys them. He actually has all of the prophets kill all of Jezebel's people. So Jezebel's a little upset. And so Elijah runs off and hides. God has just shown his great power. And Elijah's afraid of this woman. So he goes off and hides. He's in a cave. He's in a desolate place, away from everybody, and he encounters God there. And God says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And he tells God, I'm afraid for my life. And we read in 1 Kings, starting in verse, uh, 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 11, And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. 
And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Funny thing about a low whisper, you have to be really quiet to hear it. You got to kind of lean in, got to tilt, tilt your head. Maybe some, some of us will cup our hand to our ears. And you have to strain, maybe even stop breathing for a minute to hear somebody speaking in a low whisper. Most of all, you've got to stop talking in order to hear somebody speaking in a low whisper. And God speaks to us in a whisper. The best way for us to hear God when he speaks to us. And that's right, I said when he speaks to us is to get away from all the noise of our lives. We need to go someplace that's free of distraction, much like Elijah did when he feared for his life. You ever notice how distracting your life can be? Even while I was writing this sermon in my home office, I got distracted by many things. I usually will put a pot of coffee on, on uh, in the morning and, and let it run while I start working on the sermon. And then our coffee pot does this little beep, 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 tells me that the coffee's done. You know, so I'm typing, I'm typing, beep, beep, beep. Ooh, I'm going to go grab a cup of coffee real quick and then I'll come back, which is usually what I do. So I made myself a cup of coffee. And then I saw I have this, this thing that, that holds medicine. You guys know those little plastic things that hold your daily medicine, right? So you don't kill yourself not taking your medicine right. Wendy's always afraid I'm going to do that. So I put my little pills in my little weekly medicine thing. And I noticed it was empty. So, I, oh, okay, I'm going to go and, and fill those. And so I got to do that and while, you know, while my coffee's sitting there. And then I saw some stain on the counter that one of our kids had left the night before when they came down for some late night snack. And of course, okay, well, let me come over here and grab this and wipe up the stain. Because I didn't want Wendy to have to deal with the stain. She deals with enough. I didn't want to have to worry about that. So I cleaned that up. And a two-minute cup of coffee ended up distracting me for 20 minutes from writing the sermon. And, and I say I got distracted. If I'm being totally honest, it might be more accurate to say I distracted myself, which is usually what happens. I got distracted. I hear this from students all the time. I got distracted. No, you didn't. You distracted yourself. You put the PlayStation in your room. You took your phone wherever it was that you were supposed to be doing something else. You distracted yourself. And that's something that many of us do. I think I have something that I need to get done, and maybe it's a little overwhelming, or maybe I just don't want to do it, so I find things to do. <laughs> right? I will find many, many things. I would rather vacuum the carpet than to do whatever this thing is that I'm going to do. And these days, we have a million things that can provide distractions. There's the social media. How many of you have started, you sat down, you were going to check Facebook for like two minutes and you looked up at the clock and it's an hour and a half later. Uh-huh, yeah, I see some of you smiling. I know, what, I know you know what I'm talking about. 
TV and movies and radios. You get an email that pulls you away from something. Oh, I got it. Yeah, well, I got to answer this. Linda sent me an email. I got to answer Linda. It's so important for me to do that. Sometimes work can be a distraction, especially if you don't want to hang out with your family. Oh, yeah, no, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't, we can't have dinner with these people, I got to work, right? And we, we avoid those situations. Sometimes our spouses can be a distraction. Many times our children can be a distraction. And when I say distraction here, I'm not talking about just regular everyday life. I'm talking about distractions from our relationship with God. And yes, our children, our spouses, our work, our home life can all provide a whole lot of distraction from our relationship with God. How many times do we get so engrossed with taking care of our work and taking care of our family that we forget about our relationship with God? Well, I meant to get up and I meant to, to, to pray and I meant to read my Bible, but, you know, Josh had this thing and he was worried about it and so I was working with him and I was talking to him and then, of course, I forgot about praying and reading the Bible because then I had to get to work. Well, I'll do it tonight, and then when the night comes, then we're too tired, and then we're not going to do it. That, and we just neglect those things. And it's easy to do, right? And sometimes it's easy to do because we feel those things are important. It's important for me to help my son when he's nervous about a test at 6.30 in the morning. It's important for me to sit with my spouse and listen to her day especially when she's not had a good one. Those are important things to us. But Jesus does warn us that our families can be a distraction from being his disciple. In Luke 14, 26, Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus isn't suggesting here that we hate anybody, okay? And this, this verse gets misread all the time. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. This word for hate that Jesus is using would have been used as hyperbole, would have been used as this, this idea that this is important. And he suggests that if anything gets in the way of our following Jesus, that's a distraction. If anything or anyone gets in the way of following Jesus, we're not going to be good followers of Jesus. And that includes fathers and mothers and spouses and children and brothers and sisters. And it includes our own lives, our physical well-being lives. If we put anything or anyone ahead of following Jesus, then we can't follow them. Jesus knows that all of these people, these circumstances of life can become distractions in our spiritual life. And when we become distracted from God, one of the best things that we can do is separate ourselves for a time. I love my wife, but sometimes... For my spiritual health, I got to get away from her. 
Not because she's doing anything to destroy my spiritual life, but because I'm not doing things to build my spiritual life. I'm not doing the things that God wants me to do to build a better relationship with him. We need to get away from our distractions for a time. Now, I'm not saying pack up and, and, and you know, walk across the United States for a year unless that's really what God is calling you to do. And you better be sure that that's what God is calling you to do. You better be hearing that low whisper really, really loudly. But what I'm saying is we need to find a place and a time that we can withdraw that we can be free from all of our distractions, where we can feel comfortable sitting in silence to listen to the low whisper of God. We need to find a place of solitude where we can be just with God, where we can give God our undivided attention. And Jesus practiced this throughout his ministry. In Luke 5, 15 to 16, he says, But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Jesus understood his mission. Jesus understood that he was here to heal the sick. In that Isaiah verse that he read to the people in Nazareth, I'm here to give sight to the blind. He knew that was his mission, but he also knew that he had to take care of his spiritual relationship with God the Father. He, need to have, he needed to have time where he was not the teacher and preacher and healer and meal maker and, and visitor and all of these things that made him such a busy person. That Jesus could have taken the stance that many of us take. I'm too busy to spend time alone with the Father. Too many people are relying on me. They're counting on me. I don't want to let anybody down. And Jesus certainly fits that description. How many thousands and thousands of people did Jesus heal and feed and visit and teach to and preach to? But Jesus understood that need for silence and for solitude. He needed to get away. He needed to spend time with his father one-on-one, -on -one, and he would go to desolate places. He would go out to the wilderness, places where nobody could find him, and just be with God. Just have a conversation with his father. Because Jesus was in solitude, there were no distractions. He could hear the father's low whispers. And we find that he was living out Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I am God. Now the word still here doesn't mean just... The word still here means to stop, to desist, to surrender. When we can find a place of solitude where we can have a conversation with God free from distractions, we make ourselves stop. We make the world stop 
for a time, when we can learn to pray and then sit in silence and listen for that low whisper of the voice of God. We're surrendering to him. We want to know what do you want from me? What is your will, not mine? A few years ago, Wendy and I hosted a spiritual disciplines retreat at our house down in Red Lion. We had like eight people and we set up like all of our different rooms for different things and we had silent spaces throughout the house where people could go and just sit for a time in, in silence and in solitude away from everybody else. And I decided that, you know, since it was my house, um, I was going to go out back and just uh, sit in the lawn chair and, and just close my eyes and just listen. And I prayed a little bit and I listened. And after a little bit of time, this breeze started blowing across the back of our yard. We had these trees kind of lining the back of our property. And as the breeze blew, I listened and the leaves on the trees started rustling. You know that rustling sound that you get? And as the breeze picked up, they would rustle faster and faster and faster. And it sounded to me like the trees were applauding. It was incredible. brings to mind Jesus' words to the Pharisees. When he triumphantly entered into Jerusalem and the Pharisees looked down on him and they said, tell the people to shut up. They're making too much noise. And Jesus looked at the Pharisees and said, I tell you, if these people were silent, the rocks would shout out. And I'm sitting there listening to the applause of the trees and I think back to that moment and I believe that God was trying to tell me, if you don't praise me, the trees will. If you don't want a relationship with me, the trees will give me honor. The trees will give me praise. And that has stuck with me for years. God doesn't need our praise. God wants our praise. God wants us. Wants us to have a relationship with him. Silence and solitude. Now these are what we call spiritual disciplines. We've talked about those a little bit, praying, reading the Bible, spiritual disciplines. They're spiritual because the purpose is to move closer to God and to grow deeper in our spiritual relationship with him. And they're called disciplines because they're not easy things to do. They don't come naturally to most people. Now, some introverts will say, oh, yeah, silence and solitude, I'm on it. But for a lot of people, that's not the case. Sometimes there are things we don't want to do at all. I don't like to be alone. I like to have people around me most of the time. And because these things aren't easy or natural for us, they are things that we must practice. These are things that we must train ourselves to do. I have to actually go into a room and close the door and sit down not turn on the music, not listen to any, and just be silent. Just sit. And that is so hard for me to do, as most of you might know. But these are things that can help us to grow closer to God. 
because silence and solitude will help us to get that answer to the most important question that we have for God. What is your will for my life? Isn't that like the most important question we ask of God on a fairly regular basis? What is your will for my life? And if we can sit and we can listen for that whisper, he'll tell us what he wants us to do. As we end the service this morning, instead of closing with a song, I'd like us to close in a time of silence. Now, when you find a place where you can be comfortable. And this is what I do. You don't have to do this. But when I, when I go into that room and I close that door and I sit down, I basically just try to relax. Not too relaxed, don't fall asleep. But I just kind of sit. My feet on the floor. Just my hands just kind of sitting on my lap. I'll just and I might pray for a while. One of the things I notice is anytime I try to get silent with God, 8,000 ideas start rushing through my mind. So I just start praying the Lord's Prayer over and over until all of those voices are silenced. And then I just I want to invite you guys to do that just, just for a minute or so this morning. Don't worry, it's not going to be like an hour long or anything. But just sit in a relaxed position and close your eyes and listen for the voice of God. Father, the world has become so noisy, so filled with distractions, things that distract us from our relationships with other people, things that distract us from our relationship with you. Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit would teach us how to sit silently before you. That the Holy Spirit would teach us that it's okay to be alone with you. That it's okay to listen for your low whisper. 
Father, help us to be obedient in sitting with you. Father, speak to us in that low whisper. Tell us what you want us to do. And Father, always let us hear you say that you love us as we know you do. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This week, see if you can find a place in your house, outside of your house, a place where you can withdraw from everything and everyone and spend just a little bit of time with the Father, free of distractions, being able to be silent before Him and just listen for His voice. God bless you.